0: Today we'll be reading from the book of Nehemiah, um, chapter 1. Nehemiah's Prayer. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his command." Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants. The people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. That's the word of the Lord. Thank you. All right, thank you, Manuel.
1: You might like to keep your Bibles open. There's also an outline in the order of service this morning. Um, we'll be going through the book of Nehemiah now, right up from now till Easter. So we'll be taking a good look at all that God has to say on godly leadership. And I think it's a good topic and a series for us to be considering, given the state of the world that we are in. Let's pray. Our Sovereign Lord and loving Heavenly Father, We thank you that you are a God who cares for your people, that you are a promise-keeping God, and that you are a God who speaks. We know that you have spoken in many and various ways in these former times, but in these last days you have spoken to us by your Son, and the promises that you give us are set before us, that we might know you and understand and trust in all that you say. So be with us this morning, Lord. Please, as we open your word, may you speak to us by your Spirit. And apply to us the truth of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, was cupbearer to the king of Persia. As we heard in our kids' talk, it was his job, basically, to serve the king's water and wine to make sure that if anything went wrong, you were the one poisoned, not him. So, to be the king's cupbearer was a highly trusted position, and it tells you something about the character of the man whose life and ministry we're going to be following today and in coming weeks. First of all, Nehemiah must have been a man of quite some considerable personal integrity, because, as we know, the king's life depended on it. And come to think of it, so did Nehemiah's life their lives were kind of bound up together. I suppose in many ways his job was like that of a modern-day bodyguard. On the upside, he got to walk the corridors of power. He got to meet famous people. He got to enjoy the luxuries of the king's palace. He would have been trained in palace etiquette. He would have been able to talk with the king on a wide range of topics. He would have been schooled in wisdom. But despite all these privileges... His life could be demanded of him at any moment. This was the reality of Nehemiah's job. But it was also the opportunity as well, for it seems to me no fool could survive long as the cupbearer to the king. This was not a fool's job. This was not a fool's job. This was a job that required diplomacy, courage, quick thinking, attention to detail, was also a role that encouraged prayerful obedience to God, knowing that your life could be taken at any moment. you would be humbly dependent on God because of the very nature of the job. So all in all, it provided the perfect training ground for Nehemiah's future role in God's plan of salvation for his people. You see by God's grace, Nehemiah is about to become one of the Bible's great leaders, although he lived in a foreign land although he served a foreign king way over in modern-day Iran, actually, in Susa, in Persia, a long way from home. Yet, he longed to see God's name glorified. So when he heard the sad news about the troubles in Jerusalem, it not only moved him to tears, it moved him to action. In all of this, he sets the standard for godly leadership not only in his own generation, but for generations to come. And that's why I've begun this new series of sermons on the life and ministry of Nehemiah today, introducing Nehemiah, my first point. You see, when it comes to godly leadership, Nehemiah is one of the best examples we have. He was not a king, but he governed God's people wisely. He was not a prophet, but he faithfully applied God's word. Actually, he was just a layperson, like you or me. But he loved the Lord, and he served him faithfully. And that's all God ever asks of a good leader. In his book, A Passion for Faithfulness, J.I. Packer says of Nehemiah, during the half-century that I've been a Christian, and J.I. Packer was one of the great Christians of the 20th century, he says, Nehemiah has helped me more than any other person in the Bible, apart from the Lord Jesus himself. That's high praise, isn't it? for the book of Nehemiah from one like J.I. Packer. It's high praise, and it tells us why we need to go back and read the book of Nehemiah today. Because in the West, certainly in the West, we are living in times where godly leadership is lacking, just as it was in Nehemiah's day. Kel Richards says we live in times that resemble the age of Nehemiah. God's people seem to be too few and too powerless, while God's enemies look to be too many and too powerful. We urgently need Nehemiah's good news of God's undiminished sovereign power, unlimited wisdom and unending love for his people to encourage us. Let me say it again. We urgently need Nehemiah's good news of God's undiminished sovereign power, unlimited wisdom and unending love for his people to encourage us. It's true. I was thinking, you know, last year, my theme as moderator of the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales was Christian fortitude. Christian fortitude. What is Christian fortitude? Well, I'd say it's an inner strength that comes from a humble dependence on God. An inner strength that comes from a humble dependence on God. It's actually a military word. Fortitude comes from the idea of a word fort based on the idea of strengthening or fortifying your position so that you can stand against the enemy. For example, a city without walls is defenceless, a defenceless city. So if you want to raise the morale of a defenceless city, what do you do? To comfort the people, to make them feel safe, you build them a wall. Fortify the city and they will be comforted by the wall. That's the idea of fortification. It's God's, spiritually speaking, God's inward strengthening of his people by their faith, by his saving power present in our lives and by the way that's what the name Nehemiah means too it means God has comforted comforted not in that weak effeminate way we use the word today with just a gentle hug you know comfort you wipe away your tears no not that kind of comfort but the strong if I may say masculine form of comfort of fortifying the inner person to stand firm against the enemy it's a strong word to comfort someone, is to fortify them with the hope of the gospel through the strength of the Lord to stand firm against the enemy. So in Nehemiah's day, people had become discouraged. Their confidence in God's promises was low. Their courage had failed them. Their courage had failed them. They'd begun the good work, they'd built the temple, they'd done some good things, and then it kind of dropped off again. There'd been an attempt to build the wall, but that was prevented. What they needed now was a good dose of fortitude to stiffen their spines. And that's what Nehemiah is about to bring. Nehemiah is going to comfort God's people. He's going to fulfill the very meaning of his name, Nehemiah. God has comforted. He will restore their hope in God by rebuilding the wall to defend the city of Jerusalem from her enemies. He will encourage God's people in their faith. He will lead them to repentance. You see, he was a great leader of God's people. I think one of the reasons why he was effective is that he was also a student of history. You can see this in the prayer that he prays. We'll look at it in a moment. But the way that Nehemiah prays to God shows his in-depth knowledge of the story of God's people and of the covenant that God made with them and that God is a God who keeps his promises. So in short, Nehemiah knew from the beginning the only way forward for God's people is actually to return in faith to their covenant-keeping God, to confess their sins, to rely on his grace and to seek God's mercy to bring them back, as it were, for Christians today, to bring us back to the cross where our Saviour died and where he took the penalty for us. Take us back to where the problem was solved. Unless the Lord is with us, the builders build in vain. Isn't that true? Unless the Lord is with us, the builders build in vain. Well, in verse 5, Nehemiah is going to call upon the Lord of history. He says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. He see, was a student of history. He was a student of the gospel. He knew both world history and salvation history. He knew about the covenant with Abraham. He knew about Moses. He knew about the law. He also knew about sin. For like it or not, we are a covenant-breaking people. We regularly fail to keep our faith with the Lord. So our only hope is to be found in the God who is faithful and who keeps his promises to us. So when Nehemiah hears about Jerusalem's distress, what does he do? He doesn't get angry, he doesn't blame God. No, he's a realist about sin. What does he do? Nehemiah prays. In fact, the great bulk of our passage today is a prayer. Nehemiah laments over the sins of his people, of himself, of his family, of the whole nation. He laments over sin and then he turns and he makes his appeal to the God whose covenant love is there and ready to save. Nehemiah was a man of prayer who trusted in the faithfulness of our mighty God. Nehemiah was also a man with a plan, and it was a big plan, a bold plan. Some may say it was an impossible dream, but nothing is impossible for God. This quiet cupbearer to the king of Persia had a plan to rebuild Jerusalem's wall. What a remarkable idea. Certainly it would require fortitude on his part he would need to be a strong leader he would need to be a capable one too he was going to walk into the presence of the king and say uh, i need a leave of absence pretty much well, with god's help he can do it with god's help he can stand firm he can speak the truth trusting in God, he's going to rebuild the wall, he's going to fortify the city, he's going to comfort the people, he's going to restore their faith and hope in God. What a mission. So let's turn to my second point for today, let's talk about the bad news from Jerusalem and the bad news is this, let's read it. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in the citadel at Susa Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Jerusalem with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Ah, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. You see the words that stand out there. In great trouble and in distress. I wonder how the people in Nigeria are feeling, those Christian farmers, genocidal neighbours, feeling defenseless, grieving over family and friends who've been slain, losing their livelihood, losing their homes fleeing for their lives in great trouble and distress. That Christian pastor sent to jail in Vietnam for four and a half years for holding a prayer meeting in great trouble and distress. How are we going to fortify our friend? How are we going to help? See, this is the situation In the time of Nehemiah, 90 years had now passed since those first Jews had gone back to Jerusalem from Babylon under the decree of King Cyrus and yet still the walls and the gates of the city lie in ruins, 90 years and no wall. Imagine living in a house with no wall and no front door. I've seen a documentary about houses in China, horrible situation. Building companies go bust. People are living in houses with no walls and houses with no doors because that's all they've got to live in. Would you feel safe living in a house with no walls? Do you want to invite your friends around to a house with no walls? Would you feel that's life as good as it gets? That's what it's going to be? And what kind of witness is this to the world? Why would anyone believe that Israel's God is the great and awesome God when his people are living in pathetic ruins? Something must be done. But how? How? One of the questions I think we all ask at times like this is what difference can I make in the world? I can see the problem over there, but what can I do about it? How can I change things? What difference can I make? I'm no one special, I'm not trained for this, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm not ready. Maybe even Nehemiah thought, what can I do? I'm just the cupbearer to the king. How can I be used by God to make a difference in these difficult times? Well, think again. Think again, because Nehemiah is a classic example of how God directs his servants, both then and now, into the ministry that he has prepared for us to do. And the first thing I notice about Nehemiah, and it strikes me, is that he is a man who cared for the people. He cared for the people enough to ask after their welfare and to pray for them. When Hanani, his friend, came, that was his question. How are they faring? How are they going? I'm sure he'd been praying for them. That sets him apart already. Nehemiah cared about the things of God and he was grief-stricken, When he heard the news about the troubles of God's people in Jerusalem. So in verse 4, he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He was devastated. He sat down and wept. And I might say here, a little plug for somebody who's written a great book called Real Men Do Cry. If you want to get a copy of that book, go and see Tom, because he's the author of it. The prayer that saved a nation. Real men do cry, and Nehemiah wept. He wept over the circumstances of God's people. For several days, he couldn't function normally. just broke his heart to hear the news of Jerusalem's disgrace. He cared so deeply, it was the burden was so great upon him. This came from the Lord. It wasn't to be shaken off. It was the working of God's spirit, preparing Nehemiah, moving him toward making what was going to be a very, very bold decision. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In the days before I decided to leave my uh, secular work and go to Bible college, I can tell you that my wife and I fasted and prayed over that decision. It's a big decision to leave your career and go and start training and preparing to be a minister of the gospel. But when the Lord places it on your heart, it is necessary that you listen and heed the call. And perhaps the Lord may place that call on your heart's But we need to raise up more godly leaders for our churches today. We need to see that there is another new generation of godly men and women who are equipped to handle the word of God and to apply it well. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Well, Nehemiah hasn't told us yet, but in chapter 2 he's going to speak to the king and he's going to pray that God will work in the king's heart. May it be that the Lord will make a way for my dream of rebuilding the wall to become a reality. It was a huge risk that he was about to take but what else could he do because the Lord had placed it on his heart. It was such a burden. He cared so much for the people and for the glory of God. So here's a lesson for us today. It is good for us to care about the things of God because that's how God motivates us to action. If we don't care, well, we probably won't be motivated to do anything. I have a friend who is an evangelist at heart. I can clearly remember having a coffee with him one day when he started to cry. I thought, what have I done? He was weeping as we were having coffee. I said, why are you crying? He said, because of all the people walking by and they're walking to hell because they'll never know Jesus. And it grieved him so much that he cared so much. That's an evangelist's heart, isn't it? Certainly, chastened me. We should care. We should care more. Nehemiah cared. Do you know that without Jesus, you will never ever have peace with God? Jesus died so that we do not have to suffer God's wrath. Tomorrow could be too late. If you don't know Jesus, come to him today. And may Jesus be a living wall for you to protect and guard you so that no enemy can ever tear you down, not even death. Nehemiah was a man who cared for the people. He knew the promises of God and he knew that while ever Jerusalem lay in ruins, there must be a spiritual cause for it. And he was right because Jerusalem really reflected the church. The Old Testament church lay in ruins. The people were discouraged. There must be a spiritual cause. The problem was unconfessed sin and complacency. The covenant curses which God had warned about in his word had activated again. So the first thing Nehemiah has to do above all else is to pray. Someone once said great leaders know that the first thing, first things first. They need to do first things first. This is my third point for today. Take it to the Lord in prayer. First things first. Because that's what Nehemiah did. He, he prayed a prayer of confession of sin and then he prayed a prayer for success in the work that God had placed upon his heart to do. Confession and petition. Nehemiah prayed. And can I say he didn't just pray once or twice and then give up, as I tend to do? <laughs> Another rebuke. No, he prayed for several months. He and his friends were persistent in prayer, In chapter 1, verse 1, the bad news came to him in the month of Kislev. In chapter 2, verse 1, we know the prayer was answered in the month of Nisan. So basically, Kislev overlaps with our November-December time frame. Nisan overlaps with kind of March-April. In other words, we're looking at a time frame roughly between Christmas and Easter, which is at least three months and sometimes four. So Nehemiah prayed with persistence. He prayed to the Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. He knew the living God. Jesus also taught us to pray in very similar terms. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's the same kind of God-honoring attitude. a prayer to the living God Here is a call to God with a reverent humility, yet at the same time an absolute confidence that He will hear our prayers and answer them according to His good and perfect will. So look at verse six: Nehemiah continues to pray. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night, for your servant, the people sorry, for your servants, the people of Israel." I read that badly, didn't I? Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Day and night he prays. He prays because he cares for God's people. He's effectively saying, we are your people, Lord. We bear your name in the world today. Hear my prayer on behalf of your people. So Nehemiah was persistent in prayer. He was humble in prayer. He was also confident in prayer, for he was confident of God's mercy toward his covenant people. It's right for us to pray for ourselves, for our friends, for our world. We prayed in church this morning. I trust that you pray regularly at home as well and with your family. We need to pray for those who are sick and for those who are in trouble. But let's not forget to pray also for God's people as a whole, for the growth of the kingdom and for the advance of the gospel throughout the world. So Nehemiah prayed, continuing in verse 6, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah confesses both his sins, his family's sins and the sins of the people and he acknowledges the weight of God's righteous judgment upon them as a nation. And now he begs for God's mercy according to the covenant promises that are part of his word given through his servant Moses. This is a very biblical prayer, you see, a very biblical prayer. And it's good to pray with your Bibles open. Verse 8, remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. It's a scriptural prayer. Moses is simply saying, Lord, this is what you promised. Please do it. Fulfill the promises that you made through your servant Moses. See, Nehemiah is a student of history. He remembers the days of the exodus from Egypt when Moses led the people through the wilderness and prepared them to enter the Promised Land. He recalled the great saving acts of God through the ages. And this included the return of the Jews to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. It's all part of the same story. But now he prays that God will finish the work. Lord, what you've begun, please finish. Show your glory again in these dark days. Renew your love for your people. Verse 10, They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. It's all about God, isn't it? They are your servants, your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. It's all up to you, Lord. It's all up to you. It always has been. It always will be. I remember reading somewhere about some Boeing employees. This was a while ago now. Apparently they stole a life raft from a 747 plane that they'd been working on. They took it home. They managed to get it safely out. Uh, They didn't get caught stealing the life raft. But several weeks later, when they put it out onto a river, they were amazed at how quickly the local Coast Guard flew in to pick them up. They'd barely got it undone. And there they were, the Coast Guard arrived. What had they forgotten? The life rafts are fitted with homing beacons that activate when you inflate the raft. So it kind of like there they are. Oh, sin is like that. We think it's a good idea. We might take the life raft home. But sin catches you out every time, doesn't it? Nothing is hidden from God. Try hiding your sins from God. It doesn't work when we confess our sins, we know that he is quick to forgive us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. How much better is it to confess your sins rather than to wait for your secret sins to expose you to public disgrace? So Nehemiah confesses his sins first, first things first. He prays. And then he asks for God's help in speaking to the king of Persia about this plan that God has placed on his heart. It takes us all the way to verse 11, the last verse in our passage today, for him to get to the point of this entire prayer. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of Of this man. And then he says, I was the cupbearer to the king. So we come back to where we first began. Nehemiah, this humble man of God, was about to become one of the Bible's great leaders. Although he lived in a foreign land, although he served a foreign king, yet he longed to see God's name glorified. So, when he heard the sad news about the troubles in Jerusalem, it not only moved him to tears, but it moved him to action. But first of all, it moved him to prayer. And that's really the main point of our passage today. What can I do to make a difference in our world today? How can I be used by God in these difficult times? I'm no one special. I'm not trained for this, you may think. Think again. You're here today. The Lord has shared with you about the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. If nothing else, haven't we seen the answer today? There's nothing else that you can do. You can pray. You can pray, just as Nehemiah did. For unless the Lord is with us, The builders build in vain. And this is something that's still true today. So, Nehemiah prayed, and when he prayed, his prayer was powerful and effective because his faith was in the Lord. Humble but confident, he identified with the people and he shared in their pain. Confessing, he confessed his own sins and the sins of his people. Being biblical, he recounted the great promises of God from Scripture. And being passionate and petitioning, He asked God to show himself to be the great and awesome God that our God is. And now God is calling us as his people today to go and do likewise. Again I ask though, what can I do to make a difference in the world? Well, at the very least, number one, you can pray. Pray for the world and the needs in it. Pray for the church. Pray for God's people. You can pray. Number two, you can care for people. You can care about their lives and what's going on and number three you can share your faith you can call people to christ and comfort them in that strong sense with the gospel build them a message of hope in the lord jesus you can pray you can care for people you can share your faith everyone can do that don't think that because you're small and insignificant that you can't change the course of history You can. God can through you. Even now Jesus is building his kingdom by the power of his spirit. He's doing it through little people like us. Who knows that you might be the one who has a conversation with someone who has a conversation, who has a conversation with the king. (laughs) That's the way it works. Sometimes you just don't know what God will do with the conversations that you have. So through little people like us, God is taking back what belongs to him, little by little. He's overthrowing Satan's power, releasing the captives, setting the prisoners free. His name is being glorified in the world. And if God ever raises you up to a position of leadership, then I say to you, have the fortitude to make good use of it. Don't waste the opportunities God gives you. If you're in a career and you're rising into a position of considerable leadership, then be a Christian leader. Implement policies, make decisions that are God-honouring. Fight the good fight. Take it up to the opposition, graciously. But sometimes we need to say no in order to accomplish good. Don't waste the opportunities God gives you. Even if you're just the cupbearer pouring drinks at morning tea this morning, you can still pray And trust God to use the gifts that He's given you personally to bring glory to Himself in the most amazing and unexpected ways. For example, would you like to consider this morning praying about becoming a scripture teacher in one of our local schools? You say, Oh, I've never taught scripture before. Don't know how, I'm not trained. Well, you can begin today. Why don't you pray about it? You might think I've already got a job. Well, so did Nehemiah. He went and asked his boss. His boss gave him time off. Scripture on Wednesday mornings. We need some more scripture teachers. I wonder if the Lord is placing it on your heart. Nehemiah prayed about it. He asked his employer for time off. And his employer said, yes. Now, maybe all you need is a bit of fortitude and faith in trusting God to answer the prayer. But you've got to care You've got to care, you've got to want to do it. It's got to come from the heart. Remember that although you and I are small and insignificant, we serve a very great God. And He is able to accomplish His purposes in ways we never dreamt of or imagined. Think of Nehemiah again. And I close here. He was not a king, but he governed God's people wisely. He was not a prophet but he faithfully applied God's word. He was just a lay person, but he loved the Lord and he served him faithfully and that's all God ever asks of his people. So let us begin with first things first. Let us begin with prayer and by seeking to know what God's will is for our lives, that we might walk in it according to the grace he has given us in Christ Jesus today. And one final thought as we close. This comes from Charles Spurgeon. Because God is the living God, he can hear. Because he is a loving God, he will hear. And because he is our covenant God, he has bound himself to hear. So take heart, trust in God, and get yourself to prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Nehemiah and the message you have brought to us today, a challenging one, but an encouraging one, may you fortify us in Christ today. May you establish us in the gospel and give us the courage to be the people you have called us to be. Help us not to be discouraged or silenced by opposition when we know what we have to say is true. Help us to care for people, help us to love your church and help us to honour Christ in all that we do, and we pray this in his name. Amen.